Hello, lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience, can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is, Is Artificial Intelligence Creative? So if you grew up around the time that I grew up, there were all kinds of movies being made and still to this day about artificial intelligence and robotics and where the world may be going. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of these movies focus on some sort of negative oblivion that we are heading towards uh, with artificial intelligence. And I think there's a lot of mystery around what that really is. I mean, does the average person really understand artificial intelligence in its finite detail? I'm not sure. Maybe we're getting to that time, but you know, I think it's one of those subjects that we can educate ourselves on that's important, right? Technology is important to how we live in so many different ways. And if you think back years and years, you know, there were probably times where people were really, really afraid of different technologies. So like afraid of the computer coming on board, people having personal computers, like what would happen? The internet certainly being created. I mean, cell phones being created. Like and technology, you know, isn't inherently bad or good. It's really a reflection of how we human beings utilize it. So there are lots of things that could happen, let's say, with the technology of a cell phone that are negative. And there are a lot of beautiful things that can happen with the technology of a cell phone. And it really comes down to who is utilizing the technology and what is their intention. And so I wanted to have this conversation about the creative possibilities of artificial intelligence. And I think it's important to like have an open mind and just look into this stuff. I don't profess that somebody should believe one way or another. I'm always just offering information so that people can form their own belief systems. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a book today um, that was written in collaboration with artificial intelligence. Um, so I'm excited to dive into this conversation. My guest today is Ian S. Thomas. He's one of the world's most popular poets and the best-selling creator and author of numerous books, including I Wrote This For You, an experimental and pioneering prose and photography project. He has spoken, toured, and read his work all over the world, and he has appeared on panels and at numerous conferences, including BookCon in New York and the Saraha International Book Fair in the UAE. He lives in New York, and so with no further ado, let's have this important conversation with Ian S. Thomas. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're with us today. Oh, thank you so much. I thought you were you were you were speaking to the audience. <laughs> no, yes, you. We're so happy you're here. 
Um, and I immediately wanted to have you on the show and I wanted to talk about this because I want to also dispel some myths around this. And the best way to do that is to speak with someone like yourself who's had and this beautiful experience with AI. And I think in our culture right now, there's a lot of fear around it and there's a lot of question marks around it. And I just, when I came across your book, um, I, I just found it was something that is an important conversation that we need to be having at this time. So before we dive into all of that, to give some background on you and how you came to being in this experience of writing this book, take us back a little bit to, you know, your poetry, your work before, like what was the segue into this discovery? Sure. So my work has always kind of focused on creativity, spirituality, and technology in, in some way, shape, or form. I grew up in a very um, connected household in the, the 90s. Um, my brother was arrested by Interpol at the age of 16 for hacking into Belgium's telephone network. So we were really kind of operating at the, the fringes of you know technology and digital culture at that point in time. And um, you know, my brother was always very left-brained. I've always been very right-brained. And while he was always fascinated by how these different things fit together and how code works, I was always fascinated by the act of connecting in digital in digital spaces, how you could talk to someone hundreds of thousands of miles away, which we obviously take for granted. You know, today it's just ubiquitous. It's just something that you do. But for me, back then when I was a child on the tip of Africa, like this was a very magical thing for me. And that that magic, that fascination with what technology and digital technology can do has always stayed with me. And so since then, um, I grew up, became, you know, an artist and a creator. And a lot of my work kind of focuses on that intersection of spirituality, creativity, and technology. Um, one of my most famous pieces of work is called I Wrote This For You, which is effectively a series of love letters to the internet um, or to the person reading it somewhere on the internet where I would work with this photographer in Japan. We've never met. He would send me a photograph. I would write something um, specifically addressed to the reader somewhere out there, you know, in cyberspace kind of thing. And um, since then, you know, I've done a whole bunch of different things all kind of playing around with this space. Um, and then as it comes to the book, um, in uh, in 2020, my mom passed away. Um, and it was quite a traumatic thing for me. Obviously, it was in the middle of the pandemic, or at least at the start of it. And uh, I had that experience that I think so many people had where I couldn't be by her bedside, you know, as she passed. And, um, you know, there's this primal thing when your child is born. And I know as a father that you want to hold them when they're born. And there's a similar kind of thing that happens with a parent where you want to hold them as they pass. And I wasn't allowed that. I tried to get there. I I ended up trying to drive for about 16 hours across South Africa to, to be by her bedside. And about halfway through, I got a phone call from my aunt saying that she had passed. And um, that was my, my children's last grandparent. My kids don't have any grandparents left um, on my side or my wife's side. And I, I got home and I tried to explain to my my four-year-old like what had happened, you know, where grandma had gone and uh, I really and truly struggled to try and contextualize it for her and at the same time that this was happening to me um, perhaps to try and distract myself I started working with um, 
a startup that was focused on artificial intelligence and I was really fascinated by the technology. And I realized while I was working with it, um, you know, teaching it to come up with headlines for ads or, or different things like that, that this technology enables you to kind of train it and interact with it in all these different ways. And so what I did was I realized I could train it or prompt it with the poetry of Rumi, a passage from the Bible, um, something from the Dante Ching, all these different kinds of spiritual works that I've found comfort in, you know, throughout my life and my mother found comfort in as well. And so late one night I sat down and I did that and I started showing it all these different texts. And then at the end of it, I said to it, how do I explain death to my children? And it wrote this poem, effectively, this really beautiful, profound poem that came from all these different spiritual sources. And then I asked it another question, and another question, and another question, and another question. And uh, all of those different questions and responses are collected in this book called What Makes Us Human. Yeah. So it's beautiful because I think, you know, when we have things happen in our life that shake us up or that make us emotional or our pivot points, like, you know, I mean, the loss of a parent, the loss of somebody, or even loss of a job or a relationship or things, there's an opening there of creativity, even in the moment or a need or a desire to, you know, to understand life or mm -hmm. ourselves or you know which which can be that crack right where the light gets through and where we can discover mm -hmm. something different um and i think you know in those times of questioning we also look for those answers like it's human to look for those mm -hmm. answers and you know it's beautiful that this was spawned right which gives so many literal answers um from gpt3 on life, on the things, those moments that we say, why this, why that, why is this happening? I think that, you know, creativity and exercising our emotions through creativity, you know, finding a way through what we're going through by being creative is, is such an underrated aspect of who we are as human, as human beings. You know, I've, I've, I've found exactly what you've described, like at different tumultuous points in my life, the death of someone, the loss of a job, the loss of a partner, you know, a breakup, whatever those, those things, you know, finding creative ways to, to put the pieces back together and to try and understand what's happened has created some of my most powerful work, you know, as a poet and as an artist and as a creator. So, yeah. And I mean, I think that's the fascinating thing about this new technology when it comes to artificial intelligence, where this is a new way to be creative in a really fascinating, really interesting, really different way. And if we approach it from a powerful space, you know, we can use these tools to amplify creativity and to compound it, um, which is which is really interesting. And I think over the next few years, we're going to start seeing more and more examples of that, of different ways to interact with creative work. You know, I mean, effectively what I've done with this book is I've worked out a way to have a conversation with many books. You, you can literally go into a program like uh, ChatGPT, which came out a few days ago, which everyone is speaking about right now, where you can have a conversation with Treasure Island, if you wanted to, or a character from the book. You know, the, um, the way I often describe artificial intelligence is it's a lot like discovering steam power. You, you know that it leads to, you know, steam engines and trains, 
but it also leads to so many other things and it leads to a kind of revolution you know around what we do as a society and how we function and so i think that's really interesting you know and my point of view is that it leads to a kind of democratization of creativity um, in a really powerful way Interesting. And what is, so that we can be in the experience with you, what does GPT-3 look like, talk like? Like, what is the experience of of writing this book and working and asking questions? What, were you sitting in a room? Is it, you know, is it a computer you're looking at or a robot I, or a voice? I, or? I would love for it to be like a blank white room where you're asking questions and there's this booming, you know, godlike voice answering you. But unfortunately, it's not like that. Um, <laughs> GPT-3 is is code, uh, effectively. So you're, you know, in the the space in which I created the work uh, is called the the playground where effectively you can play with the AI in all these different ways and, and test things out. And that looks like a word processor, but it's a word processor that answers you, you know, if you push the right buttons and then say the right things. And the way I constructed the book is that um, I set up a series of patterns effectively, because that's what AI is really, really, really good at is understanding patterns and helping you complete them um, in, in, in novel and interesting ways. So if you show it a few different examples of something, it'll understand, oh, okay, this is what you're looking for. So the way that I did it is I would ask it a, I would phrase a question, like, what does love mean? And then I would show it an example of what love means from the Bible. You know, love um, is patient, love is kind, love does not keep a record of wrongs. You know, and then I would ask another question, what does power mean? And then I would use an answer from Marcus Aurelius's meditations. And then I'd ask another question, you know, an answer from Adar Te Ching, and do that maybe seven or eight times. And then I would ask it a question without an answer. And I would ask it to complete the answer. And so what that does is it prompts the AI to go, this is the language that this person has used previously to this. This is the kind of philosophy that they're drawing on. What is the answer that could complete this pattern of questions and answers? And what's quite fascinating, because it's questions and answers as a pattern, it would answer the question, and then it would suggest its own question after that. So you would say, what is the meaning of life? And then it would suggest, you know, why do we suffer? As another question. Then you would ask it, you know, um, how do I overcome suffering? And it would, you know, respond with an answer and then suggest another question, like, you know, what is the purpose of our life? So it wasn't just me answering, asking questions. GPT-3 itself was kind of provoking these questions as well, which was really fascinating. In terms of how the process works, I often describe it a little bit like um, 3D printing. If you've ever 3D printed anything, it comes out as a kind of um, blob of plastic with some little imperfections on it that you have to snip off and sand down. And then, you know, once you've done that, it kind of, it looks really beautiful. So in the book itself, I've edited the text as little as possible. I've added line breaks for coherence because a lot of the time GPT-3 will kind of spit the answers out as a big blob of text. Um, but other than that, you know, I've kind of chosen what I feel are the most awe-inspiring answers, the most moving answers, because sometimes it'll be incoherent. You know, it won't, it, it's not perfect. It's 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 has these moments of profound poignancy and insight, which you have to, as a human, you know, go in and go, this resonates with me on a powerful level and pull that together. 
So interesting. So when you were doing this and you're asking the questions, like, were there moments that you remember now where it just really was like, wow, like, I can't believe, you know, that this answer, you know, came out of basically AI technology or anything that was said that was profoundly shifting for you, like personally? I think that first experience, you know, when I said, when I, the, when I said to it, you know, how do I describe death to my children and what it wrote? I'll read that to you. I've got a, I've got a copy. Wonderful. How do I explain death to my children? Encourage them to celebrate the lives of other people. Tell them that the dead are not dead, not in the way that we think of it. Tell them they live on as they are remembered. Tell them every goodbye is really a hello to a different way of being. Tell them they are loved and will always be loved. Tell them they never have to feel alone, never. Tell them the world is magical and mysterious and strange. Tell them they are part of the mystery and the magic and the beauty of it. And when a computer wrote that, you know, yeah. I sat back in my chair and I got goosebumps because the experiment had worked. You know, I thought it would work. I suspected it would work. And then to actually see that and hear that was, you know, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And it was it was a really profound moment, this kind of, you know, before and after thing where I suddenly understood, like, you know, what what this technology was capable of. And so, you know, since then, um, you know, you 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 spend your time coming up with new questions and, and investigating the answers. And I'm lucky enough because of my work to have a large social media following. So I turned to the community around me, you know, and I said, if you could ask the universe one question, what would you ask? You know, and so people people responded and a lot of it was um, in the wrong kind of form. So people would say, uh, why did I lose my job? Or why did God take my child? You know, or these really, you know, very specific kinds of things that were heart-wrenching. But uh, the way that GPT-3 operates, or at least the way that I've prompted it, I had to kind of abstract those answers to say, you know, what is the path to abundance or why do we suffer? Or how do we overcome pain? You know, to keep it within that, that, at that level that was accessible, you know, for everyone. Um, so that was really fascinating as well. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's particularly interesting for me with the work that I do, because the way that I intuit you know, the human experience is that we are programmed into certain kind of, I call them energies and ways of being. And so when I'm looking, reading somebody's energy, I can see the programs are running. It's very much like a computer, like putting software on a computer. You know, I could have the hardware, or the shell, but I don't have the programming. And so when I see the programming, like, I think the next wave of, of the human experience is really about understanding that it isn't just what it is. Like there are programs we, that we run from our life experience, from our childhood. And we, and it's a feedback loop, right. Of continuing in that program until we can become aware of it. And if we can become aware of it, it separates us from 
from who we are, right? Like I am now separate from this, this pattern or program that I used to think was who I was like ingrained in who I am. And if that separation occurs, then we see that that's not who we are. Therefore, then we have the choice to re reprogram that. And so it's interesting because I'm always in my mind going back to like, oh, this is fascinating because it's the same. It's like we've created outside of us with technology, a lot of the ways that we operate, right? As a human being and that interplay, that's why I think this work is so fascinating, that interplay between what are we learning from the technology that we've created or that has just come on the planet, right? I mean, I think in some, mm. you know, in some ways it's it's time to come on the planet. And then what is it learning from us and this interplay of information, basically? I think that's really interesting. I, I think it is one of the greatest challenges for a human being is to have that moment of awakening. You know, when you realize that you are not the story that you've told yourself or the story that other people have told you, you know, about, about who you are. And, you know, there is that similarity where I'm telling the AI a story. I'm showing it these different things and, and I'm getting it to respond to that story with a, with a specific kind of pattern. And, um, you know, there is, there is a fascinating line of conversation right now within society where I know a Google engineer a few months ago, you know, said that, the AI he was dealing with was sentient, that it was conscious, that it was awake and that it wanted legal representation, that it had all these wants and desires. And I don't really agree with that. Um, I think what probably happened is the AI he was dealing with is very good at patterns. And so it's probably seen iRobot, it's probably seen Terminator 2, it's probably seen Wally, it's probably seen all, and all read all these different fictional books. And if it sees a human saying to it, are you alive? It's going to say, yes, of course I'm alive, because that's the end result of that pattern. But I do think that there is a kind of strange sentience behind it, but not that kind of sentience. I think when we're speaking to AI, specifically what are called large language models, which is what these are. The consciousness that you're sensing on the other side of it is the sum total of human history, effectively, because that's what they've got. They've, it's the largest collection of text, is, which is what it's trained on. Every you know, piece of recorded history where someone pushed a, a reed into a clay tablet you know, a thousand years ago that someone's digitized, every Nobel Prize winning book, um, you know, every public domain article in Wikipedia is in there. And so when you're speaking to it, you have this sense of something on the other side and what you're sensing is all of us. You know, you're sensing for want of perhaps even less poetic words, the soul of all of us, you know, what makes us human, this collective kind of consciousness that we, we at, at our best moments can tap into and feel connected. That was one of the most fascinating things for me. Um, in terms of you know what patterns I saw in the responses to the book, there were three things that kind of came up again and again and again through the different responses, themes that it kept on returning to. The first was that love is the meaning of everything. You know, love is why we're here, and it's this. It's it's if you drill down into every religious text, into every spiritual or inspiring thing love is in there somewhere. And the AI was able to bring that to the surface again and again and again. The second was 
that this is, there is a present moment that we must return to again and again and again. And, you know, that obviously comes through in things like the Tao Te Ching or other spiritual texts like that, where you should be in the present moment, because as soon as you leave that, then you start to suffer. And then the last, which was perhaps the most prevalent of all, was this idea that we're all connected in this really, really, really fundamental way, not just to each other, but to the entire universe and everything around us. And I think we start to suffer when we forget that. You know, these sound like really obvious things, and they are, but I think the point of a lot of art, and particularly this piece of art, is to remind us of those things that we we come across in different, you know, spiritual books or different spiritual teachings, but we forget, you know, because of the nature of life, we get distracted away from those things. And so the beautiful thing about this, this work was to remind myself as I was making it, and hopefully to remind readers as they enjoy it, that there are these three things that they should come back to again and again. So beautiful and so true. I mean, how often do we get pulled out of the present moment? I mean, no mm -hmm. matter how much you know that or study it or live it, I mean, it's a constant, oh, yes, right, here I am right now. Like, I can yeah. come back to this moment. And I wanted to talk about the fear around AI because I think there's a lot of, whether it's through media or movies, you know, over the past couple decades um, or articles we read, what is, you know, you've been in this world a little bit more, a lot more than I have. Um, why is there so much fear around this? And I think the particular fear that you see portrayed a lot of times is about it taking us over or, you know, having malicious intent. I, you know, I mean, I, I definitely understand why why people are concerned about it and why people are 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 afraid. Um, it is a very scary thing, you know. Um, I often say that I don't think we've had the right kind of stories to prepare us for this moment. You know, I've seen Back to the Future, and you know, I know that there's supposed to be hoverboards, and I've seen Terminator. And I know it's supposed to be, there's supposed to be these giant robots walking around, but that's not what we've got. In the actual future that we've in, we're 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 dealing with a technology that can paint, you know, as well as any painter in history. It can write, you know, poetry, profound, beautiful poetry. So what does that mean? Because, you know, those things, those creative arts specifically, are so fundamentally human. What does it mean if something that is not human can do that? Is that taking from us? I don't know. The way I approach it is that this is an exciting space that can compound my own creativity. It's almost thinking of creativity in four dimensions, where you're not just coming up with an idea to do something. You're coming up with an idea that can come up with its own ideas. So I came up with the idea for the book and then the book wrote itself, in a sense. And so it opens the way for all these different creative acts that are really interesting. Another project of mine um, that I completed last year was um, called Fragments of Sappho. So Sappho was this poet that lived 2,000 years ago. And she's still considered one of the greatest poets to ever live, despite the fact that there are only fragments of her poetry still around, literally just sentences that you know people have discovered and archaeologists have discovered over time. But these sentences are so beautiful, profoundly beautiful. There's only two complete poems of hers besides those fragments that still exist. And I worked out what I could do is I could show GPT-3 the two complete poems and then show it the fragments one by one. And it would try and write the rest of the poems. 
So I kind of recreate these poems that have been lost for 2,000 years. And that's kind of what I mean by it's like discovering a steam engine. You know it makes the train, but you don't know what else it makes. You can't predict. And I think that we're on the verge of a creative revolution in terms of how we interact with the, the media around us, how we interact with art around us. There are about 5 million kids um, on a Discord server, you know, a chat room, um, specifically devoted to an AI engine called MidJourney, which allows you to generate images by typing in a description, you know, a rabbit surfing on a surfboard somewhere in Hawaii or a panda in space, you know, whatever you want, you kind of want to create. And these 5 million kids, the second biggest Discord server is Fortnite, and that's just about got a million. So this is how popular this kind of technology is. Um, these kids are making book covers for their 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 books. They're making comic books. They're making trading card games. They're collaborating with each other on all these different crazy projects. And that's really exciting and really fascinating. I'm not saying that AI is is you know entirely good or entirely bad. It's a technology, a lot like the internet was 20 years ago, you know. And the mistake we made with the internet, I think, because the internet has not been fundamentally a good thing, in my opinion, is that we allowed a group of people somewhere to have all the conversations without society being involved in a very real way. And so that's the thing that I come back to again and again. You should be aware of this technology. You should be involved in conversations around it if they come up from a legislative point of view, from a societal point of view, because it's very powerful. And we should all be involved in those conversations. And so I would urge everyone to learn more about it, read up a little bit more, um, because we have a problem in the world where new technology arrives and it takes a while for everyone um, to catch up to it. And to. And I, I want to make sure that the right people are involved in the conversations around it. And that means everyone. I think that's really, really important because it does seem that a lot of times when these new technologies come, there's only so many people that understand them or take the time to look into them. And then those are the people that ultimately control them. And the rest of the people, you know, feel like, well, I don't really understand this, you know, and of course, when we don't understand something that's fertile ground for fear about it, or, you know, just aversion to even delving in there and, you know, and reading things. Are there places that you would recommend to like research more about, like you're bringing up some interesting things I've never heard of, like chat rooms that are, you know, dealing with different technology. Are there resources where people can go who maybe are new to this information to read up and understand the latest things that are rolling out? So I think that there's a few different platforms that you can look at. You know, there's an institution called OpenAI. They created GPT-3. They created um, DALI, which is one of the original, you know, text-to-image AI generator thing, uh, generator technologies. Um, they're really fascinating. Um, and they have a very purposeful, you know, kind of uh, aspect to their institution where they move very slowly in terms of what they're doing and very carefully, which because they understand the weight of what they're doing. Um, and I think the world needs more of that, if I'm honest with you. There, for the past however many years, there's been the Silicon Valley fascination with the mantra of moving fast and breaking things. <laughs> and I, I say we need to live in an era where we're moving very slowly and fixing things. Like that's where we need to be. And open AI, I think, kind of reflects that. Um, 
I'm not associated with them. I use the technology, but that's where the association ends. There's other groups like Stable Diffusion, which are very fascinating in their own own way. And you can Google this and and, and read more about them as as companies. Um, Stable Diffusion has a very opposite kind of thing where they believe the best thing to do is to enable access very quickly in an open source kind of way to these different kinds of technologies. Um, and but they're also generating really fascinating, beautiful, interesting kind of kinds of art and and interactions with art for different people. Um, I can't really recommend one particular newsletter or or website or or something like that. My advice would be to Google and you know see who you trust and 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 what you discover. So interesting. Thank you for that. That's, I think, just a, you know, a place or two to start just gets the, you know, opens the door because sometimes mm -hmm. just getting over that speed bump of where to go, where to look, you know, where to get information, just, we have to just crack the door a little. So thank you for sharing so those resources. Something to mention specifically is that a lot of these technologies are free. These aren't things that you have to pay for in uh, any kind of meaningful way. Uh, OpenAI has just released a platform called ChatGPT which is a chat version of the AI that I worked with. You can literally say to it, you know, um, write me a welcoming email new letter to my new customer or um, arrange these countries in alphabetical order according to this, and it'll respond to you and it'll do a pretty good job of that. And that's free. The same with Dali, you know, where you, if you need the front cover for your next book, you can go and work with that. Um, you know, so... There are ways to interact with this, and they are really accessible. It's really about like getting the word out and, and empowering people to go and discover them. Yeah, it's so fascinating. I had no idea that those you know chat features were available, and that's wonderful. I'm going to go check that out. I know my son, I have a 10-year-old son, Jameson, and he has brought so much of this knowledge. I feel like he just kind of came with it. Like, mm. um, you know, at a very young age, he wanted, you know, virtual reality. He's like, we need to all learn, you know, how to exist in mm. virtual reality. And he then wanted 3D printer, very young. I don't know how he even saw these things. I don't know where he was even exposed, but, but I feel like some of these things, he's like, mom, why wouldn't we be able to just print what we need? And, you know, and mm -hmm. sometimes he'll say things that have me, it's like an essence of what he's saying, I feel like exists in the future. Like he, mm -hmm. you know, we, we come with a certain amount of kind of, I think, knowledge for our time on the planet and what is necessary. Mm -hmm. And many times, you know, parents find that children are really great with certain technology or things that didn't exist when they were young. Um, mm. but he'll say things sometimes where I, it makes me stop and reconsider like the way I view the world. And I think, do you agree with that? I, I think so completely. And I, I mean, I think, you know, we're all exposed to different things when we're young and learn, you know, different things from the world around us. You know, you, a lot of us probably grew up with TV and then radio and then computers and the internet and, you know, young people have this intuitive grasp of what the future is going to look like because they can kind of see all the different things going on around them. Um, you know, digital connection means something completely different to them. You know, as and I often say this to people, especially in light of the pandemic, you know, it was an incredibly traumatic thing for everyone to go to, but particularly for young people, where a lot of your 
you know, your your connections, your friendships exist at school or exist in real life. And for sudden, for suddenly that to be taken away is is a big thing. And so a lot of young people, more than they were already doing, turn to digital connection, turn to video games, turn to, you know, connecting in all these different ki kinds of ways. And um, I think it's really fascinating. I, I also think we live in one of the, or if probably the, the the first time in history where the young people probably know a little bit more than us, um, which is very different if you think about how things have been for a few thousand years, where if you were the older person in the village, you knew how to chop wood, you 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 know you knew how to go hunting, you knew, um, you know when the seasons changed and when to plant crops and all these different things, and that was knowledge that you learned over time, but we we live in this moment of incredible change, incredible change. And young people are the people who pick it up first. And so I urge people to listen, you know, like demonstrate a degree of, as you said, like flexibility and an openness to experience, you know, and, um, and trust them. I think the young people know what's going on. They seem smart. I, I do too. My son always goes, I, I would have been awful to be born when you were born, mom. There was no technology. <laughs> we tell him stories about only having so many channels on the TV and things. He goes, oh, thank goodness I was born in 2012. <laughs> I, I, I keep showing my six-year-old what, what phones look like you know, in the, in the eighties and nineties. And she's like, I know dad, I know you've shown me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm trying to get it across to you. This magic, you know, little brick of black glass is, is kind of a miracle. It's you're very lucky to have. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's so funny. Well, this has been just a lovely eye-opening chat for myself and I'm sure all of us here in this community listening to this and, you know, thank you for blending these worlds like you do this world of spirituality and technology and you know poetry and heart-centered creativity um because i think there is a space for for this to all come together it's not an either or it doesn't need to be and truly what you say about you know all of us being involved and everything you know everything has to me a light and a shadow like we can take anything in a positive beautiful direction and it can also be taken in a direction that is harmful or destructive. And so we get to choose that future moment by moment about where we're steering, you know, humanity together. And I think that that's a really important thing that we all have to take to heart and know that we're all a part of, that it's not somebody else doing it, that it's all of us standing up and doing it together. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I think the important thing is that we're aware that we have a choice you know, and that we can choose how this technology develops and how and what we do with it, you know. And I think that this is a way for humans to augment themselves in incredible ways, you know, and it's it's important that we approach it from the right place. So thank you so much for having me. And I've I've really appreciated my time. You're welcome. The book is What Makes Us Human. And can you share where people, you said you had a great social media following. If people want to follow your work, can they follow you on Instagram? Where are you located? I'm pretty much everywhere. If you search for real Ian S. Thomas, um, Ian spelled I-A-I-N-S-T-H-O-M-A-S, um, you'll find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know, pretty much everywhere. And you can just Google what makes us human and Ian Thomas, and it should show up either at your indie bookstore or Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever you prefer to buy your books. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. 
Hey, lovely. This is Shauna Lee. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Soul Frequency Show. If you got even one piece of valuable information, head over to Apple Podcasts and share a review with your takeaways. And follow us because we got lots more goodness to come. We are spreading the love far and wide. And you know where to find me over at IG at The Soul Frequency. Until the next time, love, here's to positive vibes and powerful awakenings. Thank you.